0: Heavenly Father, thank you for a new day. Thank you for the rain that has refreshed the earth. Thank you for your love and your word that refreshes us spiritually. We just pray now that uh, you'll give Jim wisdom and words to speak and help
1: us to have understanding ears as we listen. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today's uh, topic then is we're going to be talking about laying aside the extra weight, practical ways to reduce, avoid, eliminate your debt, so it won't slow you down. Uh, when you're going in th- in a, in a uh, any triathlon, but significantly the longer ones, the idea of weight starts making a big difference. And uh, I'm not talking about personal weight so much, although that's uh, that can be an issue. But I'm talking specifically on bicycles. All right, so you can go out, and you can buy a bicycle, and uh, you know your average, uh, you know I, Forty years ago, or whatever I bought my first 10-speed. I mean, that was cutting edge, right? You have a 10-speed bike, um, and it was a few hundred dollars. Today, you go out and you get your average, you know, typical bike, and it's probably more like a 21-speed or a uh, or 24-speed, something like that. And you're probably going to cl- pay close to, let's say, a $1, thousand fifteen hundred dollars. If you start getting into the, the little bit more intense, where you've got some carbon fiber and stuff, probably you know. $2,000, $2,500, maybe $3,000. Prices go up from there, and they say that to kind of, and by the way, I'm not going to be spending $10,000. My bike didn't cost $10,000 anywhere near it. I'm, I'm, I'm four digits, but I'm way at the, the bottom end, okay? You get to $10,000, you have a pretty sophisticated bike. Every ounce that you want to save over $10,000 will cost you approximately $1,000, I've been told, Okay? There are people that will spend $40,000, dollars $60,000 for a bike, for a triathlon. And the reason is, is because if you can shave a couple of ounces off and pick up a fraction of a mile per hour, that can mean the difference in the race. Okay? After an event that goes for 140 plus miles, 30 or 40 seconds can make a difference. All right, So they, these elite athletes are in the business of trimming every extra weight off themselves, their bike, their gear, uh, running shoes, you name it. They are as efficient as possible. And the reason that they do that is because they want to be as fast as possible. And there's a biblical precedence for that. If we read in Hebrews, Hebrews, uh, is it 12.1? Thank you. Um, and I'm going to try to say it by memory. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside the extra weight and the sin that so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher. Am I pretty close on that? Author and finisher, exactly. So the idea is that, uh, and I think there's some, pastor's going to have to help me here, I think there's still some discussion about who wrote Hebrews. Is it possible that Paul wrote it? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. But, but, there's, but I don't know that there's 100% confirmation, but we, we're fairly sure. All right, So Paul is writing, telling us, and Paul talks about analogies of running throughout his writings. He, he relates the spiritual experience and running very, very close. So we're in good territory when we apply you know, athletic events to our, our, uh, our personal life, our spiritual life as well. Paul's telling us that in the spiritual uh, race, that we need to be laying aside the weights that are slowing us down. And that same practice falls right into line with what we should be doing with our finances, which is debt is a weight. It slows us down. We should be laying aside that weight so that we can run the race, we can finish the race as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be talking about debt. Um, There are times that it's more appropriate. There are times where it's, way less appropriate. And as we get started, I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple things that the Bible says. First of all, in Luke, Jesus said, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? The idea is, people run into problems when they don't estimate the costs. And that's a lot of times where we run into debt. Oh, this was a lot more expensive and I had to borrow for it. I wasn't paying attention and the only way to get ahead uh, you know, I, I didn't know what my costs were, and so now I'm buying my groceries and my gas on credit card, etc. We need to sit down. And by the way, that's what, that was the exercise yesterday, is for us to sit down and create a spending plan so we know what the cost is. We know where we, where we should allocate our income. Uh, Proverbs says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower because becomes the lender's slave. When we borrow money, the Bible tells us we are... Uh, the analogy is we're like a slave to whoever we've borrowed that money to, whether it be a friend or neighbor. More importantly, a bank. Uh, we are in essence a slave to the uh, the lender. Um, Proverbs also says a prudent man sees evil and hides himself. In other words, stays away from problems, and the naive pr- proceed and pay the penalty. We need to be intelligent about this. And the reason that we often get into trouble financially and by the way, there's lots of lots and lots of texts on debt, all right? Um, Jesus said again in Matthew 6:31, "Do not worry then saying, "What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear?" For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, and there's a mi- missing um, print or uh, quotation, yes, thank you." so no we have an error there. Uh, the idea is sometimes we get into trouble because we haven't trusted that God will take care of that in his own time. And we either run ahead or we think we need something now, and we run into some problems. Now in addition to debt, I'll tell you, when we, when we wrap everything up, the Bible does not prohibit debt. All right? The Bible heavily discourages it, though, and there is a difference. Um, there are times that debt can be used appropriately and there are, there are two ways in particular that I think that we should not feel like we're uh, living in sin because we have borrowed money. Number one would be for buying a home. All right? A home is an asset. It appreciates in value. All right, If we were to try to save enough money to buy a home, most of us would save most of our lifetime and we would probably not be able to get that. So, purchasing a home, and and I think you would find that Dave Ramsey, who's one of the the foremost um, commentators and financial planning people, would tell you that when people are looking to become debt-free, he actually excludes mortgages from that process. You know, financial freedom, being debt-free, when you've paid off all your other debt besides your house, you can claim that because having a home mortgage is not the same as other type of debt. And so, I would encourage you, as we're talking about this here today, um, do not feel like you know panic because you still have a, a mortgage. Um, the other one that, in some cases, oh, and I'll back up. Uh, your home mortgage, though, even though that type of debt is in many cases appropriate, it's still prudent to be very reasonable with how much. All right. There are people that run into some serious problems because they're trying to buy you know mansions uh, on a uh, on a bartender's salary. Um, and and maybe bartenders make a lot i that's just anyway the idea is we have to be prudent with what can we afford all right the other one that i think in some cases can be justified uh is when you have to have an automobile if you can't get to work and make an income then we're in some pretty serious trouble and so at times um uh, debt for a reasonable and reliable automobile, I think, can be considered prudent under certain circumstances. But beyond that, I think we have to be extremely careful about what happens with debt. Um, the other thing I want to encourage you, and, and this is something that we don't always pay attention to, the Bible has some things to say about um, being in debt with someone else. It says, Proverbs 11, 15, He who is a guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it, but he who hates being a guarantor is secure. Uh, do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. If you have nothing for which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? And in Proverbs 17, 18, A man lacking in sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. A lot of times when people come to us and say, Hey, would you loan me some money? I've got a certain circumstance. It can, you know. um, the reason people are asking us to loan them money is because they're not a good credit and they can't go somewhere else. The bank has said no. So we need to make an assumption if someone's coming to us and saying, hey, can I borrow some money from you? That is very likely, first of all, the professional have said, we don't think that you're going to repay that so we're not going to touch it. We should have, to some extent, the same opinion. If we decide to help them out, it's probably more like a gift, much less of a loan. That doesn't mean that you can't do it. It doesn't mean that in every case that happens, One of the things I find is that in in almost all the principles that exist, there are exceptions. We know that in life. The problem is not that there's exceptions. The problem is when we make exceptions the rule and we base our decisions on a principle based on the exceptions. We need to base, for the most part, our decisions based on what generally does happen. And again, if someone's coming to us and saying, hey, can I borrow some money from you? We need to make the assumption that in most cases it's because they can't get money somewhere else. And that's going to be a, uh, a difficult debt to repay and to get back. So, uh, does that make sense to everyone? All right. I'm going to turn on the light for just a minute because we want to talk about uh, debt in the United States right now. If we look at it overall, anyone want to take a guess what the average house, not the average, the total household debt in the United States is?
0: So, zeroes?
1: there is room yeah it's it 's a little bit it 's actually a little bit less than what it costs to put in the streets in, in heaven with gold <laughs> if we go back go back to Monday not much but a little bit less uh, any anyone just come up with a number what 's that six trillion. six trillion uh well you're you 're kind of close it 's in, <clears throat> in the trillions yeah it 's thirteen point five trillion okay so Anyone want to quick do the math? How many people are living in the United States today? How much? That's probably that's probably pretty close. So, so someone tell me if you have thirteen point five trillion divided by three hundred thirty million, what's the average debt per person? Into,
0: let's see, three hundred thirty-three million would go into a billion. That would be three a trillion. Would be three thousand. So three thousand uh, Whoa, thirty-nine years looking by forty-five
1: thousand dollars. That would that would be close because the average household, not the average individual, the average household debt is probably somewhere between one hundred thirty-five and one hundred forty thousand dollars. Right. and that does include their house. Okay, that does include their house, and that that um, this number here does actually, and out of that, you've got about. Um, Just just under nine trillion is mortgages, but not everyone owns a house. Exactly, and not only that, but not everyone has debt on their house. So, but that tells us right there that two-thirds of it is mortgages, all right? The issue isn't always this, although I will tell you back in 2008, this was a huge issue. There was a bubble, if you remember that, okay? And bubbles typically exist not necessarily because people are greedy, I will tell you, very often the reason that asset bubbles happen is because the government has um, either a type of regulation or has loosened certain things that make certain behavior very easy. For a long time, the government encouraged home ownership. They wanted to make it as simple and easy as possible because the belief was that that uh, continues to spur the economy and there's some, there's some validity to that. The problem is, like anything, when, bubbles, when things get overheated and bubbles get bigger than what they should, what happens when you blow up a balloon and it gets too big? It pops. it pops. Exactly. The problem isn't the small balloons. The problem is the big balloons, and that's a lot of. We could go, we could spend an hour talking about what happened in 2008, and I won't bore you with that. <clears throat> but this was a component of that. This is not the bubble today. All right. Um, there's other debt out there. Anyone want to take a guess what credit card debt is today? Okay. Obviously, it's much smaller than that. Credit card debt today is just under $1 trillion. Okay, the average household, it's about $16,000 per household of credit card debt that they're carrying, all right? Um, auto loans, the average is about 28000 There's about uh, $1.2 trillion in auto loans. But those two are not the bubble today. Anyone? Student loans, loans. okay? I'm gonna give you some interesting statistics on student loans, and that's something that we need to think very seriously about, and I'll explain why here in a minute. Um, Right now, there's $1.4 trillion in student loan debt. Uh, The average debt in a student loan now, it depends on where I read it, and, they, and it was within a, a few months of these reports came out, so I can't tell you which one is the most accurate. $1.4 trillion, the average amount of debt per student is somewhere between thirty-seven dollars and $47,000. Okay? Here's some other really sobering statistics. Anyone know how long it takes to, to pay off the, the, the time period for a student loan? 30 years. It's actually, most of them are 10 years. When you borrow from the government, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, it's a 10-year payback. So the assumption is most of those will be paid back within 10 years, correct? 40% of students, uh, and we can only this is going back over time, so they took a look at it you know, 20, 25 years ago, the amount that people borrowed. Um, in the middle 1990s, which would allow that study to go out at least 20 years, 40%... Of those students that borrowed back in 1996, still had balances close to half of their original student loan. Okay, that's 20 years later. All right. They talked about when the defaults happen. The government used to say most defaults happen within the first three years of a of a student loan, uh, student getting done with college, and it would make sense because you say, okay, I got my loan, I got my degree. Oh, it's taking me a while to get my job, I can't quite get into the rhythm of the workforce, and I default on my loan. Um, then someone realized, well, the government's only looking at this for the first three years, so maybe the reason why most of the defaults are happening in the first three years is because the government's only looking at the first three years, and so they expanded that out, and they actually found that the average was closer to five or six years is when the defaults happen. And the challenge with student loans, that's different than your mortgage, or your auto loan, or your credit card card, is it cannot be released. Okay, Any one of those other debts in bankruptcy is released. Student loan debt is never released. So we have a real issue in America and that issue is becoming a challenge within the Adventist church and here's why. If you have two students, they finish college together, and let's just say it was $40,000 that each of them had. That's the average. So now you have a household with $80,000 of credit or a uh, student loan debt. And they're out there and they're trying to get started. Um, and they're having to start paying back on their student loans. Pretty, uh, pretty close immediately. Six months, Six months, exactly. We should be, re- yeah, he said he was on. Um, how do you go out and buy a home with $80,000 in debt already? that's That's an important part of that process. More importantly, when you go through your budget like we did yesterday, and you write down a list, and you list all the expenses of things that you have to, your rent, your car, getting some clothes, all that kind of stuff, and you don't have enough, guess where it starts coming from? No. Tithe. The biggest financial challenge that the Adventist church has today in giving comes from student loan debt. The challenge that that generation has coming out of school, not having enough money in terms of income, but having these huge expenses. And we need to find a way to keep this reasonable. Now, it's getting out of hand, not just because, again, decisions that individuals are making, but the government's making it very, very easy to borrow. And this is the next bubble, I believe, that's going to happen. Any time bubbles, again, get overinflated, at some point they pop, it's a bad thing. So we need to be very cautious, I think, as Christians, in terms of uh, our families and the, our churches, what are we doing to help to make sure that, that student loan debt you know, isn't really getting out of control any more than it has. And so.
0: that bubble would occur. I mean, I know very well what happened in real estate. If that bubble would burst, like you're saying, what would be the trickle-down effect? On
1: <sighs> yeah, it's, it's hard to really know because I don't know in what way the bubble bursts. You know, one of them is that the government just says, okay, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to stop giving easy money into that, and at that case, uh, the easy money has been the only mechanism for which people could afford college, and so they stopped going, and that affects you know universities and colleges across the, um, the country. Um, I don't know, I that's a great question. I haven't studied all the different parts to it, but um, it was kind of like the housing. It's one thing to say, yeah, people are going to lose their houses, but we didn't realize just how extreme that was going to be in terms of the impact to the economy because there's a lot of other moving parts to it as well. So. Yeah, I I never thought to do the full analysis on that. Um, I'll spend some hours tonight. (laughs) Sarah's like, oh, he's going to look into that. No, 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 that's great. I'm I'm excited about that now. So anyway, uh, what we want to do, though, is whether it's credit card, whether it's student loan, uh, whether it's auto payments, we want to talk about a strategy for how do we go back to this concept that debt is going to slow us down. And how do we get rid of that extra debt? How do we we move on so that we're quicker and more efficient financially? Because when we can remove debt, we'll talk about what we can do with that money instead. That becomes a real advantage. So the first thing I'm gonna ask you to do is in your handout, and I hope everyone brought theirs back. Um, Is that the case? If you open up either the first or the second page, it'll be estimated spending plan, and then on the other side, personal financial statement. Okay, every one of us are in this room, you need to go through this exercise. So what we want to do is we want to take a look at what are our assets, all the things that we have, what are our liabilities, all the debts, and then figure out what are we worth. And there's a biblical concept to this that's up on the screen. Um, and it says this, Know well the condition of your flocks, and pay attention to your herds, Proverbs 27-23. It's a biblical principle for us to be able to say, what is my financial condition? What is my financial situation? Um, I've read some things that say you should do this every quarter. That could be um, maybe once a year. But we should have a periodic uh, process where we say, I want to know where I'm at and if it's getting better or worse. All right. So the first thing we do is we take a look at what are our, our assets uh, what 's the cash that we have in our wallet? How much do we have in our checking account or savings account? Um, any stocks and bonds, investment accounts, cash value of life insurance, coins, your home, real estate any notes receivable? This is not a mortgage that you 're paying. This is something that someone is paying you hey someone actually did borrow from us you know ten thousand dollars and they 're paying it off over time. They still owe OB five thousand that 's an asset business auto furniture um, I would guess we don't have a significant amount in this room in jewelry. Um, other personal property. <laughs> um, uh, pension or retirement. Other assets. The idea is everything that you own that has value. You want to list that. And when you're done, you're going to come up with what that your total assets are. And then you're going to take a look at your liabilities. This is what you owe. So this is the market value of what you own. This is the value of what you... Oh, credit cards, autos, home, personal debt, business loans, education loans, medical past due, uh, life insurance loans, bank loans, other debts, etc. List those all out. The goal is when it's all said and done, and here's your assets minus your liabilities, that you still have a positive number, all right? It's not so good when it's negative, all right? You want a plus, not a minus there. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think I've read somewhere that uh, the average, I don't know if it was 60 or 65 year old, uh, the average net worth is somewhere around $50,000. That's good in one way, um, but how do we live for 20, 30 years on $50,000 of net worth? So we're going to talk about, uh, if we have time later today and especially tomorrow, the importance of saving and investing. So you had a question, then we'll come up to you. Uh, I think that was total average, yeah. So of course that top three percent is huge, and the bottom forty percent, many of them could be in the negative category, yeah. This might be an obvious question, but in the home, in the assets, you just want to list the amount that you are clear, I and mean, the- No, you you would want the total value of the home. Okay. It, you know, like if your home. And an easy way to do that, it's not always the most accurate, but it's a pretty simple way, is when you get your tax statement every year, it'll tell you what the SEV value is. Now there's a taxable value and there's the actual value that the state or the county or the township says, assesses it at. You want the actual assessed value, not the taxable value. Because your home can go up in value, but I believe here in the state of Michigan, your taxable value can only increase at a maximum of 3% per year. So if your house is appreciating, you know, it's, it's beachfront, it's going up 10% every year, that's going to go up very quickly, even though the taxable value only goes up 3%. So you want the assessed value. Yeah, because later on, you're going to take the debt out. So you end up technically with the same number, but you want the full value of the house up top, the full value of what you owe taken out below. So great, great question. Anyone else have questions on that? All right. When you're done with this, you'll have the, uh, the ability then to start on the next process, which is how to pay off the debt. Okay? You'll have a snapshot of what your debt is. And I want to talk about this is a method. This is not new. Many of you have probably heard this before. I certainly didn't come up with it. But this is a strategy for how to pay off debt as efficiently as possible. And here's how it works. All right, the first thing that you do is you take a listing of all your individual debt. And since you went through that process on your personal financial statement, uh, and I'm sorry, th- these pages are not necessarily in order. Um, the, uh, the, the handouts that I gave you, that's how they're prepared uh, and how they're printed off. And you guys can go online at Crown, Crown Ministries and find the same thing. Um, I'm moving around a little bit to try to you know, compress all this information into just a couple days. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about how this works practically, and I'm going to ask you guys to help me with that. So I would like someone to say, okay, and this does not have to be a debt that you have. If it is, no one's going to know any. I don't care. But someone say, you know, here's a type of debt. Here's how much the debt is. Totally hypothetical. All right. Uh, Here's the interest rate. Here's the payment and here's how long it'll be before it gets paid off. All right, so just, just throw out some numbers that you think would be interesting. because I want you guys to be part of this. All right, I've got one. I've got, uh, got $1,000 credit card debt. Um, I'm, paying, I'm paying the minimum, I don't know what that would be. Let's just say it's uh, $30 a month. And it'll be paid off then in, years. yeah, maybe longer. Um, I don't even know when the payoff is. And, and when it gets paid, you'll want to write all that stuff down. For purposes of, of our sample today, that's not as relevant. So let's just start with you know, how much do you owe and how much are you paying? So what's another debt? Just an example. Car debt. Okay, car debt. And how much, how much do you want that to be? $15,000? 15, 15, okay. So we've got a $15,000 car debt. And how much are you paying per month? How much is this hypothetical person? $300. $300 okay. What's another one? School loans, okay. Let's, let, I'm going to put a credit card, auto. And again, I, I already pre-warned you guys that I did well in school except for penmanship. So you're going to have to, have to work with me here. Student loan, and how much was that? 80000 we Okay, we're, yeah, we're going for the big numbers here. Eighty thousand dollars, and how much are you paying? What do you think the payment is? Three hundred dollars a month. Okay. Yeah, that's a yeah. That one will that will still be around when uh, when you pass away. <laughs> Any more? Anyone else have like a more reasonable debt that we can put up? <laughs> Home equity loan. Okay. How much how much you want that to be? Forty thousand. Forty thousand. Okay. And how much is that payment? Okay, we'll put 400. Oh, you said 4,000? I thought you said 40. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Or we could have just moved the comma. Um, so this is student loan and this is HELOC. All right. I don't want a mortgage. This, this is all of your debts. In fact, if you look at the screen, number one step in the process is gather all of your debts minus your mortgage. We are not counting the mortgage. The mortgage is not part of this process. You got a question?
0: Uh,
1: life insurance loan. Life, okay, last one. Life insurance. How much? 5000 5000 And what's the payment on that? All right. So we have it all listed here. And, uh, that's a home equity line of credit. What's a That's a um, second mortgage. You bu- yeah, you've got your mortgage, but then you had you know, $60,000 of equity. Hey, I'm gonna tap into that like an ATM. You know, I'm just gonna pull that out. And so now you're paying back that extra mortgage. So, all right, so we add this up and uh, we've got uh, 141000 is that right? Anyone want to check my math? So we've got 141000 And our first thought is, I can't do that. Right? Wrong. Remember, we talked about you've got to have the right mindset. And we say to ourselves, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to make it happen. Um, the very first thing we do, after we've gathered all of our debt, except the mortgage, we make a list From smallest to largest. Okay, so we know that this is the smallest right here. One, two, three, four, five. All right, that's easier than me erasing the whole thing and and starting in order. Smallest, first smallest, second, third, fourth, fifth. All right, is that making sense to everyone? All right, now the next thing we do is we find extra money anywhere we can. All right? And we're going to put all of that extra money, right now we're paying $30 a month. All right? Let's say, you know what, we figured out we can, uh, I think we can come up with another $100 a month somehow. So we're going to take that $30 and we're going to take the extra $100 that we can come up with somehow, and we're going to pay $130 a month on this. All right? I'm just going to close this second. Yeah. It's not too warm in here, is it? All right. So at $130 a month, how long will it take to pay that off? Depends uh, yeah, on the interest rate. Yeah, uh, 20%. Um, I'm going to guess it's going to probably take uh, nine months, maybe 10 months, somewhere in that area. All right. So once this is paid off, we put all that extra cash to work. And it says when the smallest debt is gone, roll that payment over to the next. So we're going to start out with $130 a month to our credit card. 10 months down the road, when that's paid off, we're gonna take that $130 that was going here and we're gonna go down to number two. We've got $5,000 and we're paying $100 a month, right? How much are we actually gonna be paying now? Okay, now we're gonna be paying $230. And how long do we, let's let's put, uh, I'm gonna put down here 10 months. Now we've got uh, $230 uh, going to $5,000. How long will that take? $4,100 $4,100. Okay, thank you. Yep. You're right about that. So we're now we're down to 4,100. So 23 into 41, maybe 20 months, 18 months. I've got a financial I don't want to waste the time you know, calculating it. You guys get the concept. But let's say it takes another 20 months to take care of that. When we're done paying this off, what do we do next? You guys tell me now. And we're up to number three, that's $15,000 of auto loan. How much are we paying? 300, but we're paying so now we're paying $530 a month towards our auto loan, and we've already spent 30 months, so our auto loan, 30 times 39, so we're probably down to about 6,000 at this point, okay? How long will it take at 500 uh, to pay off 6000 uh, About 13 to 14 months. 13 to 14 months, exactly. Let's say 14. And again, we're, I'm not trying to be like, you know, you guys are getting the concept. That's the only thing that really matters here. We're done with number three. Now what do we do? We're gonna go to the home equity line of credit. And how much are we gonna be spending there? 9:30. exactly. Um, 14. You think it's down to about eighteen thousand by then? Okay Okay, let's just say it's at 20,000, and we're paying 900, 930 dollars.: um, Yeah, exactly. Let's say 22 months maybe. And now what's the last step? Number five, the big one, right? So we've got 930, how much are we now spending? We're now spending $1,230 to wipe off, and I'm not gonna calculate the amount of time. But that's the process, and one of the things I would encourage you is it's a lot of times, now in this case, probably your credit card debt was your highest interest rate anyway. Joel, you had a question? And
0: yeah. you're dealing with this, but one thing to remember, if you don't change your habits,
1: Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly. You cards you
0: gotta cut up. Um, yeah, it's not convenient. You got to cut up. No more going to be, You, know, you got to just. If they like no one else. So never...
1: That's exactly right, and I was, it was funny. I was about to mention that at one point in here. This whole thing works assuming that you're not adding any debt. That you've changed the issue that we talked about. And remember the concept that we I was explaining yesterday. Um, Everyone thinks that the way, uh, if, if you exercise 10, 12 hours a week, which is actually about where I'm at right now with a training, you can eat, eat anything you want, right? Okay, the reality is you actually can't. And I was telling the class yesterday that uh, uh, March of this year, I was probably the heaviest I've ever been. I, I was the heaviest that I've ever been, and it was not all muscle, all right? I mean, just own that. You cannot exercise your way out of a bad eating plan. You cannot earn your way out of a bad spending plan. The solution to bad spending is not making more money. You will end up in the same problem, only worse. The solution to a bad spending problem or bad spending plan is to fix the spending issue. And so when we take a look at it, if, you, if we've got all kinds of debt here, and you'll be able to identify when you look at your personal financial statement, you should be able to know pretty well, okay, we've got an issue, or no, we don't. The way to solve this is we have to get in control of our spending. Just like what, uh, um, um, I'm going to go with Pastor, Elder Nephew. Yeah, we're cousins, so I, I sometimes slip into bad habits and call him by his first name. Um, And here's the challenge with this though. It's easy to say this, all right? But I'm gonna go back to one other example, if I can erase some stuff here. Here's the practical challenge that we have to be aware of. Here's how we got into debt. We were making $1,000 a week, okay? And we were spending $1,100 a week. That's what we're used to right there. All right. We're assuming this number doesn't change. Our income hasn't gone up. But in order to start doing this stuff, we have to go from spending $1,100 a week, not necessarily down to $1,000. We now have to go down to $900. All right. So that's what the problem is. We're used to spending $1,100. Now we can only spend $900. And people are like, oh, I, I love that idea. That's wonderful. Well, you've got to only spend 900 I don't think I can do that. That's hard work. <laughs> but I'm going to encourage you with this. And again, this is something that we talked about yesterday. We have two choices in life. We have the actions. And we have the outcomes. All right? We can choose our actions and say, I'm going to do whatever action is the most fun, whatever action I enjoy the most. We may not like the outcomes, but we're sure going to enjoy the actions. We have to get ourselves in the mindset of, I'm going to choose my outcome. And what outcome do I want? I'm going to back into then the action that will give me that outcome. And again, I'm going to tell you, this is very consistent, very consistent, with what I've been talking about in terms of you know doing a significant um, triathlon or something like that, there are days I do not want to train. I'll be honest. There's a lot of days. When it's uh, five degrees outside, I don't care what they say the temperature of the pool is. All right? It does not feel like 80 degrees in the pool when it's five degrees outside. It is cold and I'm tired. I do not want to get in there. There's days when it's 90 degrees, I don't want to run but I want the outcome. And so I'll sacrifice the action that day because I want the outcome. The Christian experience is often saying, I want the outcome. I want eternal life. Now, I can't earn it. We recognize that. It's not through works. But there are decisions that we make that says, this is the outcome I want, even if the action is difficult. And what we want to do is we want to apply that same concept to our financial life where we say, you know what? There's a lot of things I would like here. I want to go to Starbucks every day and get the you know the double uh, XL latte, whatever. I don't drink coffee, so maybe I'm way off. Um, that's what I really want. That's what's fun. But I want the outcome. I want to be debt-free. And so I'm willing to make some sacrifices in the actions that are pleasurable cause the outcome much better. And what was that phrase from Dave Ramsey that someone said) Live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. Exactly. So this is going to be the challenge that I want to encourage you guys. Number one, you can do it. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. And what you're going to find is that, um, I'm going to use one last analogy with this. Um, When I was a kid, we used to go over to my grandparents, um, my dad's parents. And my grandfather always, was. Oatmeal, right? Either oatmeal or Ralston or something. It was a hot cereal. Okay, he was he was sold on that, and so we'd go over there. and My grandma, of course, recognized that most you know three or four year olds probably aren't going to eat oatmeal, so she would buy us a box of Fruit Loops, <laughs> and and oh, we I had a, back in my day. I know we we had a choice between the Fruit Loops or the oatmeal. She and she told us, I'll buy you Fruit Loops. She said on one condition: when you leave, you have to have eaten all of it and we were like, oh boy, that's a tough one. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Um so most of my life I could not stand oatmeal. All right, it's just let's be honest. Uh oatmeal, fruit loops, the flavor. <laughs> all right. So I went to a conference in Chicago for a week and I was this was I don't know, maybe 10 15 years ago and somehow I was like, you know, I got I got to get serious about exercise and stuff. So I was trying to run 30 minutes in the morning on the treadmill, which is more like run for three minutes and then walk for two and then run. And uh, I remember the first day going down to the the hotel restaurant and someone had brought out a bowl of oatmeal. I was like, you know what? For some reason today, that actually looks pretty good. And so I ordered it and it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I do, I can tell you that the first few, and I ate all week, every breakfast I was eating oatmeal. The first few times, you know, you, you, you take a bite of it and your mouth just, (laughs) just these strange uncontrollable contortions because it's, you know, it's oatmeal, all right? But at the end of the week, I felt really good. And my mind uh, started saying, you know what, when I eat the oatmeal, I like how I feel. And so I started eating more of it, more of it, more of it. Um, My wife will tell you it's gotten so bad now that I actually like dry oatmeal, Dry oatmeal with fruit. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Raw. Yeah, it's. Well, it's yeah, It's, it's a little dry. Don't uh, don't take a breath in while you're eating it because the dust. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm telling you guys way too much. But here's the thing that I'm gonna tell you. Hold your nose while you eat it. Yeah. What? The, but the point is this: a lot of times, the things that are good for us, we say, "I don't want that" because we're used to the pleasure of something else, right? Okay. If I can learn to love oatmeal, which I do, because I used it and ate it and I liked the benefit of it and it changed my taste buds. My taste buds now say, I like oatmeal, I enjoy it. If that can happen with food, it can happen with finances. We can get to the place where we say, yeah, for a little while that was painful, but I kept doing it and I'm enjoying the reward so much, I want to do more of it. And you're going to find this process to go much, much easier. So, don't be afraid that the first little while, it's painful, it's difficult, it's not enjoyable. That will turn. The fact that you're saying, no, we are going to do this. Your conscious mind is controlling the subconscious. You're going to find that uh, down the road, you're going to enjoy the process, not loathe the process. So, does that make sense? Okay. Um, Anyway, continue the process till you're debt free. Um, The other thing I'm going to do, I'm just going to hand this out. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly, and then I want to talk a little bit about investing uh, before we uh, wrap up today. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on insurance, but insurance is important. It's important to do it the right way. Um, Most of us here in this room recognize that we need medical insurance. Um, A lot of financial problems happen because we don't have some type of insurance. How many of you here drive a car without any insurance? Okay. By law, we have to. Exactly, because it's important because they recognize that there can be a catastrophic event that will happen. We need to recognize that we, in order to stay debt free, part of it is our decision on how we spend money, but part of it is also avoiding catastrophic loss. And there are several ways that we can do that. Number one, um, our home—we want to make sure we've got homeowners insurance, and again, I think that's required if you have a mortgage. Your car, you have to have auto insurance. That's required. Most of us here, I'm guessing, have some type of medical insurance, either through our employer or through purchasing it. Um, with the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, which may be an oxymoron in terms of yeah. um, the, uh, the title, uh, mandates that we do that without penalty. But we want most of us are familiar with yeah, home insurance, auto insurance, uh, medical insurance, two of them that we don't think of it quite as often that can be very important. Number one is life insurance. Um, I think that it has its place. I think we need to be careful and prudent in how we do it. Uh, But I think it does have its place. And this is just an outline to help you understand how much insurance someone should have. I'm not telling people to go out and buy insurance, but here's the thing. If there's a primary income earner in a family and that person dies, what happens to the rest of the family? We run into financial hardship, okay? A few dollars a month for insurance can go a long way towards avoiding some of those problems. And the issue of debt is twofold. Number one, uh, it's a problem because of our spending habits. And it can also be a problem because of a catastrophic loss. So how do we avoid the catastrophic loss? All right, things like insurance. The other one I want you to think about, some of you may have this through work, depending on who your employer is, uh, disability insurance. Uh, One out of four people uh, in this country at some time in their career will be out of work for a significant period of time. Disability insurance can can do a lot to offset that. The majority of those are six months or less. But having some kind of, um, some type of uh, short-term disability can be very helpful. So, uh, that's as much as I'm gonna say on it, but I do want you to, at some point, if you're interested, you know, go through that process. Because people are like, well, how much should I have? Um, And for the majority of people, Um, A uh, a fairly um, inexpensive, uh, from a good quality company, term insurance is sufficient. The idea is most of us are insuring someone's income with life insurance. Again, this is not the exception, this is the rule in general. When that person gets to retirement, now you have retirement income, it's not based on someone's wages. So very very often you're just trying to replace the income for a period of time uh, up until retirement. Uh, you know, for me personally, I'm trying to make sure, you know, up, up to a few years before retirement and significantly right now, because between Sarah and I, we have five kids in uh, Adventist Academy or college. So we want to make sure that uh, we don't run into issues with that. So uh, any questions on that part? All right. I'm going to then have us, I'm going to review a couple things here and then I want to talk Let's see if we can get a couple minutes into uh, saving and and the benefit of that. Talking about debt, though, debt is not prohibited, but it should be avoided. All right, The Bible does not specifically say that debt has to be avoided, or it has to be prohibited, but it should be avoided. Be very, very, very wary of being a personal guarantor guarantor for someone else's debt. Use a snowball uh, method to pay off your debt and use insurance appropriately to avoid financial disasters that lead to debt. So that's kind of the recap uh, for today. And uh, with your permission, I'm going to uh, jump back here. Um, All right, this is where we were yesterday. Um, let's talk a little bit about savings. One of the most uh, important savings mechanisms that we have if we're at a company with a retirement plan is a 401 k Just a little joke here, why aren't you signed up for the 401 k Answer, I'd never be able to run that far. Okay. 401 <laughs> <laughs> is not a race. 401 k actually refers to the ERISA code section, 401 parentheses K section. That allowed, uh, I can't remember, uh, 1973 I think is when the law was enacted, that allowed people to defer income and put it into a retirement plan, and that deferred income was able to be uh, tax deductible. And for a lot of years, no one actually noticed that in the code, and then in the early 80s, someone, some bright eyed person said, Hey, this is in there, let's start setting up plans that way. And it's become the, probably the most popular mechanism uh, for saving for retirement. And by the way, for most of us, Saving for retirement is the number one savings uh, issue that we will have in our lifetime. I'll give just a minute to get this picture taken. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, here's something to keep in mind, life expectancies. <clears throat> First of all, when we're born, there's a life expectancy. Uh, it's low, higher for women, lower for men. And Let's just say, for the purposes of today, that that's 80 years old on average. All right? The day you're born, your life expectancy is 80. When you hit age 65, your life expectancy is not 80. You want to know why? Because you've actually lived to age 65. The longer you live, the longer you'll live. All right. I want you to think about that. Uh, let's say life expectancy is, on average is 80. When you get to age 80, your life expectancy is now not zero. Your life expectancy at age 80 is probably another 10 or 12 years because you've actually lived that long. And so one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that if you get to age 65, some of you here in this room have, some of us are getting closer. If you get to age 65 today, here's the probability of living to a specific age beyond. Um, Women, men, and then a couple, one of them living. Right now, if you're age 65, there's somewhere between a 79 and 86% chance that a husband or the wife will live to age 75. There's a 97% chance that one of them will. We can do that at age 80, 85, 90, 95, 100. Um, at age 65, there is a 49% chance that one of you will live to age 90. Okay? 49% chance that's the average. Now, if we take into account that medical studies have shown that on average, Adventists live longer because of our healthy lifestyle, then there's a very good chance that we're going to be part of that 49% as opposed to part of the 51%. I'm not guaranteeing that. But I'm saying when we take a look at these, a lot of times we're looking at saying, well, I'm not going to live that long. We need to make the assumption that we're going to live, people live longer than what they think. All right? Most people live longer than what they anticipate. Again, the conference, I just thought about, there was a note that I had from the conference I was at last week uh, in New York and we talked specifically about that and how much longer people are living than what they think they will. Um, the issue then, let me, let's go back to that, the issue then is that when we get to retirement, the issue of savings becomes even more important because if we're going to live 20, 25 years into retirement, that's a much bigger deal than living 10 or 15. And we have to plan for that accordingly. Um, this is just classic right similar to training for the big race Um, we got the right slide here small steps make a big progress similar to training for a big race saving for retirement requires a solid plan with incremental increases along the way saving just 1% more of your salary can turn small steps into big strides helping to improve your results at the finish line if you're age 25 and you save just 1% more a month assuming $40,000 salary that's $33 a month that you're putting in, more per month. Down the road at retirement, you'll have an additional $320 a month, okay? That's the power of a small step started early. Uh, At age 35, just another 1%, which is 50, can can, uh, result in $270 more at retirement at 45, 50. The idea is at any one of these uh, age groups, if we put in just a little bit more, the difference when we're taking out can be significant. And that's what we're going to talk about again tomorrow is this power uh, of being efficient and letting money work for us. Most of the time, we're working for our money, are we not? And it's a lot of work. Sometimes it's really enjoyable work, but it's still work. What we want to do is get to the place where we're not just working for our money, but our money is working for us as well. Is um, there a question? Yes. Yeah.
0: Should we be doing the...
1: I think you should be doing some. And here's what I would tell you. Number one, if you have a, uh, if you have a retirement plan with a match, absolutely take advantage of every single dollar. If they say, we're going to match 50 cents on the dollar up to the first 6% that you put in, put in 6%. I do believe in that. I think you, you, we still need to be doing this, and that's going to be a balancing act. But if you can get free money, don't miss the free money. That's that's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, if if there's no match, I think you need to be doing some, but it may be something where, again, you're trying to find the right balance, the right blend of that. You had a question? Did you have a question to Alex? Yeah. I, I'll, yeah you can't kind of answer the same. That's, that's, my employer matches up to 6%, but I that's right where my
0: head was. I'm thinking about that. It yeah. It makes sense to put money up and try to pay off that,
1: I think, yes. I think you do, because the challenge is. That at retirement, every year that you start earlier is significant at the end. So the free money, the starting on time, and I recognize that's a lot of a lot of balls to be juggling in the air at the same time. But uh, you, you don't want to miss that free money. Yeah, that's because here's go here. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: College
1: academy and Yep. Here's, here's why, in a, like in a retirement plan, it makes sense. Um, let's say that your 6% was $100. All right? So you're going to put $100 into your retirement plan. Comes out of your check, you don't even see it. We talked about net gross and all that. So you have $100 going in, but your employer matches that, right? So they're going to put in another $50. So you have $150 going in. All right, how much did that cost you? No, it didn't, and here's why. It's pre-tax. Now, depending on your tax circumstance, let's just say, on average, maybe it's 20% between your state and federal, which would be pretty reasonable. That's a 15% federal. Uh, actually, that tax break doesn't exist anymore, so that's a bad example. Uh, now it's either 12 or it jumps up to 22. But let's just say it's 20%. 20% savings. So you're not missing $100 out of your paycheck. You're only missing $80 because your taxes went down. The government said you didn't actually earn that yet. I'm not gonna tax you on that yet. So your taxes have gone down by $20. You put $100 in, but you're only missing 80. Your employer still gives you the 50, all right? So there's 150 going in, but it only costs you $80 to do it. That's why I think we have to take advantage of that. Um, that's a that's a big swing. You do that every month for a few years, significant. So, you had a question too. Okay,
0: two questions. So, you get taxed when you pull it out at the end. You do. So, so
1: how are you saving that? okay, here is here is how the savings are. Number one, right now, your um, whatever you save, in essence, is the with the last dollar that you made. So, let's say you made sixty thousand dollars this year Um, because that's the average household income in America if you saved um, you know $4,000 that reduced your your income from sixty thousand minus the four down to fifty four thousand so that four thousand I'm sorry fifty six thank you that four thousand was taxed at your highest bracket today right Whatever, whatever. If you were paying, if you had fifty-six thousand dollars and you added this four thousand back in, that would be your highest tax bracket. When you get to retirement, very likely that the money comes out will be coming out and it could be taxed, but it will be taxed at a much lower tax bracket typically. Because here's something to keep in mind: when you retire, first of all, let's assume a married couple. Um, first of all, there are um, either personal exemptions. Actually, those just went away, but there's deductions. You may have a mortgage, so you're deducting your interest, um, charitable contributions. The first five, 10, 15,000 dollars, depending on your circumstances, you're writing off anyway. So there's a portion of your income at retirement that will come in that you're not going to be taxed on. Once you start getting taxed, the first bracket is 10 percent. In this case here, you're for, you might have been that, that money right there might have been taxed at 22 percent, which is the new, the new bracket you go to 10% or 12%. So that's the advantage of it. Now, having said that, this is what most people do is their 401k. That's what's been around for 30 years. It's a great, great plan. There are, there's another type of plan I'm just gonna mention. It's called a Roth. Anyone here familiar with a Roth? All right. This is what the difference is. In a 401k plan, it's um, tax, deferred all right what they say is whatever money you put into the plan we're gonna pretend that you didn't get paid on that today it's gonna go into the retirement plan it's gonna grow it's gonna earn earnings we're not gonna tax we're not gonna it's kind of like it's held in limbo it's it's held in tax limbo all right tax no-man's land when you retire and you start using it as money comes out of the plan whatever money comes out now becomes taxable, all right? But only what's coming out. But every dollar that comes out, the government says, hey, we gave you a benefit, you didn't have to pay tax on this before, but when it comes out, we're gonna get it all. I still, now, I still think there's an advantage to that, in most cases, it's a good, good program. But they've also come up with another kind of plan that's called a Roth. There's Roth IRAs. Many companies now today also do a Roth 401k. So they're a 401k plan, you can do it as, either as a traditional, or as a Roth, and what happens with this is the money goes into the Roth, it goes in post-tax. So in other words, whatever money is going into this plan, you've already been taxed on it. And you might say, well, what's the benefit? And I'll get to that. You've already paid the taxes on that, it goes into the, the, uh, the account. The government does not tax your earnings. And when the money comes out, Since you've already paid the tax on the money going in, you don't have to pay tax on that, but then they also say, we're not gonna tax you on the money coming out. So you never pay taxes on the earnings. And this slide here, I wish I had known about this. I probably did and didn't really take advantage of it. Depending on your age, it says which one you should probably be using. Um, If you are under the age of 40, I would tell you, use a Roth. You have you know, another 25 years, because of, the longer the time period you have, the more money that's in there will be a result of the earnings. And if you can get those earnings out without paying taxes, do that all day long, all right? If you're 45, 50, depending on your income level, the traditional uh, you know, tax-deferred 401k or IRA makes sense, uh, in between you know, 30 and 50, either of them. Uh, but I would tell you, uh, if, you're a young, if I was a young person today, I would be doing that all day long. All day long. It's a great advantage. Yes? Is it ever a good idea to take money out of your um, retirement to pay that? I don't think so. And uh, now, I'm not, again, remember, someone can always say, well, here was a situation where it was. Fine. There's always exceptions. But in general, I would say no. One of the, one of the biggest problems and challenges uh, for retirement accounts today is people borrowing from it. Because if you, number one, if you take money out of your plan, most of the time it's coming out, you're paying taxes, and you're paying it at the very highest rate. So you're making 60000 a year. I've got to take money out of my plan to pay off de- debt. Now my, uh, I'm going to take 20000 out. Now your income is 80000 And that last 20000 is being taxed at the very highest rate that you have. Yeah, you have and you have to pay a penalty of 10%. Now you can get a loan out of it. But again, even if the loan rates are fairly reasonable, what you're saying is I would rather pay the 4% or whatever that is, but you miss out. And we'll talk about tomorrow the advantage of letting your money grow for you. You're missing, any money that comes out misses the growth. And so in most cases, I tell people no, don't. I'm not saying that in some emergency, you know, to avoid a catastrophe, that you can't. But in general, don't, you don't want to think about your retirement as an ATM.
0: With the matching thing with um, your employer, um, we financially did not have it to do the matching, so only a certain portion went in. But we had another pastor family that that did the matching, and they had a lot more going in. But when the economy fell and people lost their, we didn't come out any worse than they did because they lost a whole lot more than we did.
1: Yeah, um, we'll talk a little bit tomorrow, too, about how to invest so that you can uh, always make money and never lose anything. Right? Um, that's not quite reality. Um, so I'm sorry, I saw some blank stares like, oh, is he, is he for real? Um, uh, yes, and, and I've also got some great uh, swampland down in Louisiana. I can sell you that too. Uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, in some cases, um, here's what I will also tell you though people lost a lot of money in 2007, 2008. The problem isn't that they lost money then. The problem is that when they lost money, they made changes and they didn't have a chance to participate when the, the markets came back up. That's the big issue. If you take a look at where the market is today versus 2007, 2008, people have made, on average, a lot of money. Um, now, there, and we'll talk all about you know volatility and, and how that impacts. There's ways to use volatility to your advantage. Uh, and so one of the things we'll talk about tomorrow is we can't be afraid of that. We can't look short-term just because markets go up and down. So. And one of
0: the greatest things to do for your retirement is to go into retirement debt free.
1: Yes. No
0: mortgage on the house. Yes. Because then your living expenses go way yeah. down so you can get by with a lot less than you are right now. You're not having to have two cars, you're not having to have, you know, buying new clothes for work and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, as for the balance of don't just throw everything into your retirement thing. That's my savior Yes, put there, but do what. Yes, get out of
1: debt. You want to get out of debt. Here's what they tell us in general, and and uh, there's been some significant studies done by a firm that I I do some work with, and uh, they've got you know I don't know 200,000 clients, and they're analyzing all of this kind of stuff. At retirement, um, all of your expenses at that point, not all of them immediately go down, but like uh, uh, elder nephew was saying. Um, your expenses are lower. 70% is typically what you want to be having on average. All right? Every single one of your expenses, you know, the day you retire, going forward, for the most part, all those expenses over time will continue to go down with one exception. Anyone want to guess what that is? Medical. Medical, Medical is the only category that will go up. But what they've also said is in the past, we used to say, well, inflation is, let's say inflation is averaging 2.5%. When I retire, I need to factor that my retirement income is gonna need to go up or my expenses will go up by 2.5% a year, right? Because that's what inflation is. What they've actually found is that somewhere between 0.9 and 1.4% is what it actually goes up. Because in retirement, again, many of your expenses go down. I probably won't be running through uh, my retirement years the same way I am today, right? I may not be traveling at 85 or 90 the way I may want to at 65. So a lot of these go down, yes? One thing that we get a lot of bombardment is reverse mortgages today. And, you know, I think I look upon them as very suspicious and I maybe want to talk about this for a moment here. Yeah, so I... They don't I,
0: have much of an income try to alert them, big the reverse mortgage to have the money
1: that need. Yeah, I, actually, that's a great thing. We've got about uh, two, three minutes, and so I want to I, I spend like five or ten on that because I think that would be helpful uh, for everyone here. So let's do that tomorrow. I appreciate the question, though. That's that's spot on.
0: Is there any way of avoiding taxation on the 401 after
1: retirement? (sighs) What's that?
0: Yes. You can give it all to the church.
1: (laughs) Yes, actually. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) actually, that, that that is a true statement. You can, in fact, I would tell you, I would tell you if you're going to make a gift to the church, start with your retirement plan. There's no question about that, because you can pass, re- I don't want to say regular money, but um, you know the value of your home, your assets, whatever, you can pass your kids. They all get what's called a step-up in, in basis, which means you may have bought a stock at $10, it's worth $30, you give it to your kids when you die, there's no taxes in giving it, and their cost for tax purposes is now the 30, it's not the 10. They could turn around and sell it the next day and there's no taxes, they could, they could let it grow. The retirement plan, it's almost impossible, other than charity, to give that or, or do something with it without taxes.
0: So, what about taking minimum distribution and have that check written directly to the church? Absolutely. Doesn't that be the place of your tithe, your offerings. Or
1: you, you could probably I, I would have to think about if there's a way to do it. because um, uh, you, you're the the money is still coming to you and you're taxed on it, and then you're you're then turning around as a charitable contribution, so you get the deduction. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if there's a way that it happens automatically. And I don't know if there is on your required minimum distribution.
0: I don't think you can do it except on death. So. Yeah. With so an IRA, you can give up to 10000 a year directly to a charity and not pay debts.
1: You can. Okay. So there we go. That is that is an answer. You can you you can gift an IRA up to $10,000. Well, you, it,
0: a, you can have your minimum distribution <laughs> giving directly to Okay. Or more than that.
1: Okay, I'll look, up, I'll look that up as well. Can you help me remember the questions? We've got uh, reverse mortgages, we've got uh, IRA charitable gifting to... Okay. On the Alpha the Omega, the beginning and the end, we're gonna end with a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads and uh, we'll wrap up today. Dear God, thank you again for the, the benefit that you've given to us in life in general, but just how you sustain and take care of us physically, Uh, financially, and most of all, spiritually. Lord, as we leave here today, just ask that what we've learned uh, would be something meaningful uh, to each of us uh, in different circumstances and different situations. There'll be different things that are most applicable, Lord, but just impress upon each one of us how we can best utilize the assets, the income that you've given to us as a gift uh, that we may bring honor and glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse